Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us here on the Next Level Brands Podcast. We're brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses, workshops, and webinars for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you've got a small business started selling locally or at farmer's markets, then the Ready for Retail online course is for you. From packaging to UPC codes to determining your proper wholesale price, Ready for Retail has all the information you need to be selling in stores. More details at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com what you need to know to grow. My guest today on the podcast is Lindsay Cunningham, the CEO and co-founder of Roland Greens. She was born into an entrepreneurial family in Scarsdale, New York, and grew up with the dream of owning her own restaurant. I know that. I know that. She's nicknamed Pistol because of her persistence, passion, and risk-taking that sets her apart from the rest of the crowd. She graduated from the University of Colorado Boulder with a BS in journalism broadcast news, so we both have a background in broadcast news. After two summers with a, being a page at NBC, she listened to her childhood dream and started the Rolling Greens food truck with her now husband, Ryan Cunningham, a virtual restaurant on wheels. Ten years later, Rolling Greens has thrived and expanded with a line of plant-based frozen alternatives in more than 1,800 stores nationwide. Their offerings include millet tots, cauliflower wings, and they're getting ready or currently in the midst of launching their first shelf-stable product. Welcome to the program, Lindsay. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for having me. No problem. So, so yeah, so both of us started out in broadcast journalism. We were going to try to change the world. What, what happened? How'd you end up in food? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've been a foodie since an early age. I remember the days where I would, um, you know, I, I would serve my family as though it was in a restaurant. It was called <laughs> Bella Bella. So I've been playing restaurants since I was like a toddler. But, right. um, you know, I grew up as a foodie. I got really inspired my junior year of high school at Boulder High, and I had a teacher that really inspired me through catering and that's kind of what triggered my love um for doing food you know professionally sure right and and you were in boulder which of course is a a well-known hot hot spot culinary wise and disruptive food wise exactly has been from the beginning you know we moved here when i was seven years old my husband who's my partner in rolling green he's born and raised in boulder so he's kind of like a unicorn and um, so we grew up, um, you know, his mother's a pioneer in cooking. So we both had that love for food. But, you know, I studied journalism and I had some, you know, great summers as a page with NBC at, you know, Nightly News and as well as Access Hollywood. And um, when we actually got together, um, it's really when I, you know, we decided to take that love for food and make it a profession. So right, so you're you're assuming you have jobs and and everything, and and did you sit around one night and go, oh, I think what I really want to do is a food truck. How did how did you pick food truck? Kind of. I mean, we had always wanted to start a restaurant, and so you know, I was doing PR and marketing. My husband has been a personal chef for over ten years, and so we. Um, you know, I had, I was talking to my sister who lived in New York city and this was in 2010, late 2010. And she said, you know, you guys should start a food truck because it was right as the food truck craze was happening. And so we both looked at each other and we were like, that is it. And so we actually got a loan from our friend and it was in two months. 
um, my husband had designed and we started to build our food truck because he has an architecture background as well. Ah. And it wasn't until we were building the food truck that we learned about our family history and Ryan's family starting Boulder's first organic food truck in 1980. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was very serendipitous. And so what did you guys, what was your... uh... Uh, what were your offerings in the food truck? What was your positioning? What kind of what kind of food were you preparing? Yeah, so we we weren't all vegan back then. So, but we did focus about eighty percent organic and local. We worked with you know so many local farmers. We really got to know them, and um, we created anything from you know we used grass fed beef. So we used anything from you know we did Korean barbecue beef tacos to organic beef salads. You know, we always had about 12 menu items that were always unique, and we had lines around the corner. And one of the lines was due to our millet pot. People just freaked over this product. And so it was at that point where we realized we were onto something, and we started our package product line. And so you have some validity, obviously, from from your, your customers at the truck. Um what were the challenges you went through to basically take like the millet tots, right? From doing them for the truck to putting them in a package and getting them, you know, in stores. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was great that we had the food truck because again, that's where our revenue was coming from. We could kind of take our time, even though, you know, we act quick and, um, or act fast. And so um, we got up and running pretty quickly in the stores, but, but really, um, <laughs> something I was basically good, and I just uh, okay. Wait, tell me your question again. Sorry. Okay, so it is is you 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 have product validity that's already there from right your customers at the truck, and yeah, like with right. the millets. So so the millet tots. Oh, okay, I know where it's going. Right. How do you going. take sorry. that then and 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 put that in a package and get it out to stores? Yeah. Well, I must say that when. Things all work together. At one point, you realize that it was meant to be and that you're on the right track. And that's really how it was for us at the Millet Talks. I mean, I literally walked into Whole Foods to talk to the buyer with a Ziploc baggie that said steak at three seventy five for 15 minutes. And I had a three-minute meeting, and the guy was like, I love it. The buyer loved it, and he put it on his shelves. And it's not only just easy, but that's kind of how the journey went. I mean, people you know, we figured it out. There wasn't, you know, a textbook where it told us like, this is where you get all your trademark. This is how you start, you know, where do you go to even find bags? How do you, who's going to manufacture this to you? And so it all just like really worked together. And so one of the main things that, that made it official was we found a co-packer that took us on pre-revenue and which was unheard of, you know, every co-packer we talked to said, you need a million to two in sales, yada, yada. And for us, you know, we had been working 100-hour weeks, you know, just seven days a week, just grinding. And the last thing we wanted to do was then go into production and make our own, you know, make this on a, you know, high, like um, on a scale level. And so to find that we had somebody that believed in the concept that had a professional scaled-up facility that would take us on, that's all, you know, that's what we needed to take the next step to really do it. And so, friends, don't do this at home. By the way, this <laughs> these are professionals now. Um, but yeah. <laughs> but no, but it's a it's a it's a great story of going you know going into Whole Foods and just taking the product in because you know that's it's if you get somebody who tastes something and you know then they get a belief and then they can and take that on. So well, uh, and 
and oh, sorry, I was going to say one more thing is yeah. that, you know, it, you know, as much as we need salsas and hummuses and, you know, but this wasn't a product that had been around. This was a unique offering. You know, we were, we were offering the buyers to fill a gap in their freezer section. You know, they didn't have anything like this. And so I think as long as you have, you know, a unique item that, that doesn't exist, I mean, I think that, that your chances are very good getting in if it's a great product. And so, so starting with Whole Foods and then you had your co-packer obviously kind of partnering with you in a sense, um, what did you start doing next? Did you look at, okay, we're going to distribute to other Whole Foods or we're going to look at other places in Boulder and maybe Denver? How did, how'd you go about growing it? You know, I hit the pavement. I was the sales force. And so, you know, Alfalfa's, Lucky's Market, Whole Foods, those were the first in our region to take us on. And we were probably only in about 17 stores for the first year, only because we were figuring things out. We were deciding if we were going to stop the food truck, which we ultimately did in order to liquidate our assets and, you know, have money to put into the millet top side of the business. Right. Um, and you know, through the co-packer, they helped with bagging. They hooked us up with, you know, you know, our bag supplier, our box supplier, ingredients. Um, we actually, a funny fact or an interesting fact is that Colorado supplies over half the U.S. millet. So in our uh, backyard, we have the amazing millet supplier in Sterling, Colorado. And so we teamed up with them. And so, you know, we kind of did the same approach we did when we had a food truck. It's like we got to know our farmers equaling we got to know our suppliers and so we took that philosophy and brought it in just a scaled up version yeah and that's 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 really good too how did you um did you try to do more things with millet or or how did you expand the line so um so once so in 2016 is when we launched the millet tots into retailers and later that year we actually retired the food truck and after that, we had one skew. It was our, oh, we call it the OG skew, but it's our um, onion flake and sea salt skew. Okay. And we had that alone in the freezer section for two years before we launched two other flavors. Now, I don't think I'd recommend that. You know, they always say launch three or four, you know, varieties at one time because, you know, especially in the freezer section, you can get lost very easily. So, it's really a testament to the product and the uniqueness as to how it continues to sell. Buyers continue to like it and ask for more innovation, which they still do today. So um, in 2018, it wasn't until we launched our two other SKUs, one being garlic and basil, and the other was poblano and sweet potato. Oh, yeah. And so today, yeah, we have the, yeah, it's kind of like a, that uh, we say the original is like an onion ring hush puppy. Um, the poblano sweet potato kind of like, um, you know, hush, or a, um, it's kind of like a uh, cornbread. And if you dip it in honey or agave, it's delicious. Mm. And the garlic has like Mediterranean flavor. So dip it in marinara or like, you know, it kind of takes on this pizza flavor. So they're really delicious offerings. And then um, in 2019, skipping ahead a little bit, we just launched our cauliflower wings which are right. doing really well as well. That's awesome. And um, so, yeah, yeah, cauliflower, the, the new the new darling. Um, I, I, I hope yeah. it's, it's, but I always loved cauliflower. So just, it's an easy transition for me to just do cauliflower instead of something else. Um, I always really liked it, but I, I'm hoping that cauliflower doesn't go the way of kale. 
Um, you know, it's just, it's the star of the moment, but, but we'll see, but I think it's got more, more staying power, you know, going forward. Um, yes. So then, and obviously you guys, so frozen and frozen has its own challenges, but I think the one good thing of course is, is that again, you're bringing innovation to a category. Um, frozen is probably a little easier to deal with than refrigerated if you were doing a, a fresher product or whatever. And, you know, and people also convenience wise, it just, it just makes a, a great deal of sense. But you mentioned about um, the shelf stable product or new product. So can you talk a little bit about that or is it too early? It's a little too early to talk about those, but I can tell you, you know, you're right. I mean, we see a ton of opportunity, opportunity in white space and freeze the freezer section. And that is with, um, you know, for us, it's all about clean label, whole using whole, simple ingredients, right? I mean, right. T- in today's frozen landscape, and even the remainder of the, the store, you turn the back of a box and it's, you know, 50 ingredients you've never heard of. Or it's like, why is lead in my product? Or, you know, or in this product. So it's like, you know, what we're doing is we're using minimal ingredients and all ingredients that you know, love, and possibly are in your pantry today. So I think that's the, a, a big difference between us and others. The others is, you know, we're chef-led, we're chef-created, you know, so it's all about taste. So we feel like you can take, you can have tasty plant-based products that are unique and that consumers love. And so that's, that's really the uniqueness for us. But as you mentioned, supply chain is a bit of a nightmare and it's very costly. And for us, direct to consumer is a big initiative for us this year. And so that was another reason that, you know, was part of the appeal of shelf stable. And it just so happened our new innovation shelf stable. And, and we are, we are doing this recording in the, in the midst of the COVID crisis, of course. So can you talk a little bit about in terms of, um, supply chain and the challenges and whatever else, how have you had to change any operations or anything due to the, due to the impact? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a whirlwind. I mean, food is definitely a great space to be in right now, but it, it has its challenges. Um, the supply chain bottom up, bottom, you know, top down has been an issue. I mean, you talk about, you know, we've been wanting to get up online for a long time, about eight months. And we finally made it happen about three weeks ago. And we're seeing significant traffic already order from our website. But now we have the problem where there's dry ice. So for frozen, you have to add dry ice to your shipment. Well, the ethanol ethanol and CO2 is becoming a problem. So dry ice suppliers are cutting about half of what they're providing in dry ice to our fulfillment center. And this just, this isn't just the fulfillment center. I mean, we put CO2 when we, you know, when you cool down products or, you know, it, it, it acts in so many different ways, the manufacturing, you know, so, so that's now an issue with fulfillment. So now I have, everybody has to pay more because it has to be two day instead of a ground shipping, let's say, you know, so, so the consumer is going to pay more for that. Um, shipping, you know, the freight companies, a lot of them are backlogged. So, it's taking right. more time to get to a location. Um, you talk about our our manufacturers. I mean, we can't even have somebody from our personnel go to the run because they're protecting, you know, their employees and they don't want outside 
factors coming in that could possibly spread or, you know, make everybody sick. And then, you know, so, you know, they're just trying to do whatever they can to keep their employees safe. And so at every level, it is affecting us. And then, you know, even at the distributor level, I mean, there's a threshold on non-essential items that were considered non-essential. So we have out of stock nationwide. So, I mean, there's definitely some silver lining, but I think ultimately it has affected every level of our business. Yeah, it's um, it's amazing. Sometimes I think people forget that, for instance, I, I work with a client whose product is dry, um, but it's a blend of herbs and spices. And he has one of those that all of a sudden is going on. The supplier has said, by the way, we're running low and we don't know when we're going to get the next one. So for the lack of one one single ingredient, all of a sudden his line yep. is going to stop. You know, and 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 I think that's something oh, yeah. that people don't normally think about. That there's there's other things, a bunch of things that go into this, and any one of those links in the chain can you know get it to um, get it broken. So you'd be careful about that. Um, well, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the other thing I was going to ask you about was um, in in terms of. Uh, we'll talk about direct to consumer for a minute, which is you guys are doing some stuff on the website and I wanted to make sure that everybody knows that Lindsay and I have not been misspeaking. It is Roland greens with no G except for the greens. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's one, yep. It's one word, one G. So it's like Roland greens, plural.com. Okay. So that everybody wants to go and if you can't find it in your store for any reason, you can find it at rollandgreens.com. And we figure that out. Um, Going back over from, you know, from food truck to the store and, and obviously a lot of stuff just w- went right. So there was, you know, it was, uh, um, it, it looked as though it was destined to happen. But what was the biggest like challenge you faced in, in growing that business? Was it, was it funding? Was it getting people to try the product or what did you have to really ramp up to get through? Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I mean, we have had tremendous challenges. I guess I was just saying beginning where it all started to work you just knew it was meant to be but throughout the way we've had tremendous hurdles but you know we've stayed persistent and we stayed transparent and focused on quality and our product and at the end of the day you know we that tried to be the best people we can be and I think that that's shown through but you know for us millet was is such a unique item you know that's a good thing because yep. people will take that but it's also a bad thing because maybe people won't pick it on the shelf because they don't know what it is and so for us people don't know a lot of people don't know what millet is and if they do know what it is they feed it to their birds and so for us that's why we say your birds are so happy you know we should be <laughs> because they're eating millet but it also makes you feel light as a bird so so to date, we have to do so much marketing to educate consumers on what millet is. And so, you know, something like a cauliflower wings, we've already put like little to no marketing dollars so far behind that product. And it's already selling two to three times more than others in their category. And it's because people know what it is. Right. So, you know, that's been a huge hurdle is really the education piece on millet. But, you know, millet is such a underutilized nutrient dense whole grain you know it's similar to quinoa it's like how quinoa was 10 years ago you know no one knew what it was or kale and now it's a mainstay and that's how we feel you know you know millet will be in the future but we haven't had millions of dollars marketing dollars to put behind it so you know it's all about trial and we demo hard and you know another aspect has been funds you know capital 
is really hard to get when you're early stage. So, I mean, I think my first round was last year. My first big round was last year. We we went out to seek five hundred thousand. We ended up bringing seven hundred over seven hundred thousand in. But Excellent. I probably contacted four hundred people. You know, from angels um, to you know true believers to VCs to private equity. I mean, you name it, I called them. You know, <laughs> and it was like those odds. The odds are pretty pretty slim. So yep. you know. It takes a certain person, a certain personality to hear no every single day of their life when all you're doing is trying to change the food system in just a little, little way, you know, trying to be your part in helping to change the food system and offer quality, good products, you know, that taste good. And so when you're young and you have no money, but you have all the passion in the world, it's a hard combo. Yeah, it sure is. Um, what will you, so what's kind of the next, obviously the, the new shelf stable product is going to be next, whatever. Are you going to look for another round of funding? Have you thought about crowdfunding? What, what's, what's coming up next? Yeah. So we're, we actually just opened up a new round. Um, we are raising a million dollars and, um, we are in due diligence with a handful of people. So we're pretty confident that we're going to get some funds in, in the next little while. And, Um, you know, in order to launch more products and to continue to market the current ones, we got to get more funds in. So I think, you know, the path of fundraising is not by any means ended. I think it, it just is beginning. And, you know, because you obviously have a, a great product, but you also have a, a window on your audience too. And, and so are you aiming for, is this, I mean, aimed at vegans or is it aimed at people who just want something that tastes good and is healthy for you? Exactly. You nailed it. The latter part of what you just said. Right. I mean, this is a great vegan, gluten-free, soy-free, allergen-friendly product. You know, we're all these things, right? But at the end of the day, we want to market to everyone. And so that's kind of when we did the rebrand with our packaging in 2019 that or 2018, excuse me, that was where we brought in taste appeal. You know, we just want to get people have two seconds to pick out what they want at the grocery store, right? Especially right. if it's a new product. We just want to get it in their cart. And then they turn, then when they get home, they figure out that it, we're all these things. They see our story. They see we're family business, you know, all these things. So I think that the, the first and foremost is we want to have taste appeal. Absolutely. Yeah. And once you have that, then, you know, Taste is taste is number one. I mean, we'll get we we get yes. the other stuff and whatever, but it has to it has to taste good. Um, exactly. Let me ask you about go back for a second in your in your background in in news and in in media. How did that influence or help you out in building the business? That's a great question because I think that that you know kind of goes by the wayside and you people don't, you know, realize that their background really does help. And especially when it's in, um, you know, film and um, for us, you know, I've edited countless videos for us, you know, like where, when I went to journalism school and learn how to edit and learn how to film and learn how to question, you know, I always am questioning. And that's why I, was, you know, studying to be a reporter, you know, it was like, I, I'm always asking the why. And I feel like, um, I do that every single day in my business, like having a, no, you know, I get like 
a lot of people just kind of do no or, you know, they don't want to look into it, so they'll just say no. It's the easier response. So I'm always pressing that, and that's why I feel like I'm moving things along so much further and so much faster because I'm constantly, you know, the follow-up and asking. and and um, But so for the video aspect, that's played a lot on social for me. And then the other oh, sure. element is PR. I mean, I had a PR background. So every – PR piece that we've gotten to date and we've gotten written up and, you know, podcasts and interviews and it, that's all from my doing. And imagine if I was doing it full time. I mean, that's just a small, small piece of what I'm doing, but I've gotten us a lot of PR to date and it's because I learned how to do a press release. I know how to do the follow-up. I know the programs to use. So I think that my background in journalism played a big role in helping us today. Yeah, yeah. And there's a certain also discipline to getting, you know, whatever they call now the elevator pitch or the brand story or whatever, but being able to get to the center of the story and articulate it properly helps you get that stuff out there with with other people. Yeah, you know? exactly. Honing in on our message, you know, finding out what that message is and then just, you know, saying it a million times over because it's new to somebody every single time you say it. So you got to say it you know, with the same passion and enthusiasm as you did the first time you ever said it. Right. It has to, has to happen that way. It's, um, um, and it's a repetition. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, right. It's, it's one of those things. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that, you know, when I was in school for broadcast journalism, I actually was a talk show host at that time as well. So when I got approached about doing, you know, a podcast and they started talking to me about it, I said, yeah, I, I think I have the idea. I'm not sure that I want to do it, although it's turned out to be great and, and so much fun and, you know, meeting people like you and talking to other fellow entrepreneurs out there. But when I got in the agency business, which is what happened, I kind of went from news to commercials <laughs> and, you know, but still that discipline from copywriting and, you know, being able to do those things and, and knowing, you know, knowing what 30 seconds is and how much time it is and what you can say within 30 seconds is, is really important. And I think helps out in, in general, you know, general marketing as well. Well, exactly. And you, you just nailed it too, is, you know, just the awareness that you have from your voice to your, how you, how your position, how you look, what you're wearing, what good looks like on camera. I mean, we are airing on QVC tomorrow. And unfortunately, because of COVID-19, we were supposed to be there, but they're not allowing outside yes. session at the moment, yes. understandably. Yep. So we're calling in, but you know, when we, you have to do a media training for QVC, you know, mm -hmm. when you go there, they may, you know, before you ever air, they have, you have to do a, a you know, a whole day of stuff. So, what? But when we went in, it was like we had been on camera 15 million times, you know, compared to who, you know, we saw some other people that looked like, okay, maybe, you know, they've never even been on camera before. So it's like that has prepped us and positioned us in such a better way, I think, just having that background. I think that'll be absolutely fun for you. And you're oh going to so move so much product. Oh, man. I hope so. I hope so. Unbelievable. I, I, I think it's the wave of the future. QVC, man, is like 100% where we should all be shopping from now on, but it's definitely the wave of the future. I have a couple of friends whose products are on there, and um, uh, Mamie's Pies uh, from uh, Northern California is on there, and then the uh, finger-licking Dutch Stupewaffle people. And you oh. think you think Stupewaffles, right? John Bronson, and, and uh, yeah. it, it's like... And then he he tells me, which I won't divulge, whatever. But he tells me the numbers, that, you know. And it's like, John, you got to be kidding I me. I mean, I, I know I, that that is just you know 
incredible absolutely incredible so well it's, and it's such a magical place though it's like you walk in and it's like how i used to you know how i feel it kind of whole foods you know it's the fairy dust like right right everybody's happy and everybody's like you know it's just there's this buzz and this energy and they're on 24 7 live tv i mean there's no place on earth like tv <laughs> Well, that'll be great. So that's <laughs> awesome. So yeah, unfortunately, you'll have been on by the time this airs, but that's okay. You'll be back on again, oh, so okay. people can see it. Yeah, yeah, I and, hope so. I hope it's the norm, the norm for us. And let's also remind uh, listeners, if they're they're interested in getting some product, learning more about Roland Greens, where can they find the information? RolandGreens.com, R-O-L-L-I-N-G-R-E-E-N-S.com. Excellent. And we hope that they'll go and do that. Um, so yeah. coming through all of this and, and now looking at um, you're looking at different products, you're also making a little bit of a switch in the fact that most places you're going to go to now, your new products will be with a different buyer, right? Different buying team. How do you, how do you approach exactly. that? Is that? You know, it's a whole different ball game, to be honest. And that's what we're positioning now. It's a whole set of buyers and that, you know, Today, it's been all consolidated because, you know, they're the same buyers, same supply chain, same co-packer, same a lot of things. And so, yeah, that's definitely something that is going to be a change. But we believe so much in the transition. And it doesn't mean that we're not going to have frozen items as well. But, you know, you look at brands like, you know, uh, Annie's and Amy's, you know, they have yep. they have figured out how to you know, bleed into the other categories. And that has always been an initiative for us. And now more than ever with online shipping and uh, things like that, I mean, it's the time is now for us. And it, it just happened to be that the product innovation and uh, the next few are shelf stable, but it's but, always also been a goal for us as well. That's awesome. Well, I really yeah. appreciate actually taking the time today to be with us. It's been great talking to you and learning more about your story and, and the business. And, uh, We'll have to do it again sometime when you've got some other new products down the road. Um, very good luck, by the way, on QVC. I can't wait to hear about it. I'll, I'll check in with you. But um, one of the things we do to torture our guests here on the podcast is uh, we, we try to ask them to come up with a single word or single phrase um, or topic or whatever, if you, if you want to uh, pick a, a whole topic of advice or counsel that you would pass along to fellow entrepreneurs because a lot of our audience are people who are in startup mode or in smaller medium size food and beverage and uh what would you pass on if you could do it in sort of a very succinct way oh man there's there's so many different things i would say but I guess I, I kind of already said it. I mean, the biggest thing for me, I think, in the success that I've had just so far, and I, I feel like I'm just getting going, is persistence. I mean, persistence pays off, you know, and yep. it's all about the follow-up as well. And that's another thing, you know, I learned at, you know, in journalism. It's all about the follow-up. And so you can't just expect to put it out there and, you know, it to happen. You have to continue working at it. And it's hard work. And it's like moving a mountain every day. But being persistent in the follow-up is what it's all about. Yeah, persistence pays. And that that's for sure. I know there's there's folks that will get in, they'll get a break and go into maybe, you know, a large retailer, right? And they get their product in seven, eight, nine stores. And then they don't hear anything from the buyer. And they're like, oh, I, I don't mm -hmm. do this. Well, you can contact the buyer. It's okay. And you might not get a call back. You might not get a call back for a week. 
But, you know, you understand that they're probably responsible for a couple thousand SKUs, right? And well, they just can't contact yeah. everybody, right? Well, and that's the thing, too. And I think I was scared for so long when I first got started. Like, and it is true. It's kind of like when you do PR. Like, you don't want to hound somebody too much, right? You're kind of like on the borderline of stalker. But, right. like, but, you don't want to go over the line. Yep. <laughs> but for for the buyers, that you have to do the same thing. But you forget that they, you know, you want a partner in your retailer that's going to get behind you and you want communication. You don't want to write them every single week or every single, you know, every, even maybe even every month. But you do want to stay in contact with them and they are your friend. They should be helping you, you know, like first question you should ask is, you know, not maybe not the first, but you should be aware of how are they expecting you to sell do they want your sell-through to be three units per store per shoe per week? Do they want it to be one? Do you need 15? I mean, right. What's you have the threshold? To know that. Yeah. Yeah. What's the threshold? Otherwise you're never going to know, like you're never going to be able to gauge and you can never, you know, have a, a goal to get there. And I think I never asked that. Like it wasn't until Walmart, you know, we're launching at Walmart in August and the head of diversity and inclusion, because we're certified women owned, we've gotten, you know, we love them. They've been such a great program for us. And so when we, when we, I talked to him, that's the first thing he said is you need to know what your buyer expects out of you. And I think we're just all, you know, we're just so happy to get in the door and you're like dealing with Walmart. You're so excited, but you have to take that next step and, and, and know that they're running a business, but so are you. And, you know, you guys need each other just the same. Yeah, and, and and let me ask you while we're on that, and that is, um, a lot of people would just like when you mentioned Walmart, just did this big disconnect because they're thinking, wait a minute, you know, uh, natural, uh, all good ingredients, upscale millet and ca uh, cauliflower, Walmart. So mm -hmm. can we can we dispel the myth that Walmart only sells you know hot dogs to you know, people in the South or something. I mean, what, what <laughs> they're actually sure. very, very good at new products. A hundred percent. And I think that you would be missing a huge opportunity if you didn't want to be with Walmart because you didn't think that they were natural enough. You know, the moment that you can get your product into somewhere like Walmart is the moment that you can offer the world your healthy food and that they're actually going to put your food on the shelf. So, you know, any pretty much anyone anywhere can get your product if you're going to be in all their stores or if you're going to be in a good portion. I mean, Walmarts are everywhere, right? And right. so often they've taken out countless breeders to dedicate this to to better for you products. So Walmart is growing, you know, like maybe these big retailers that you wouldn't think were natural meaning were slow to the game because people like Whole Foods or, you know, natural leaning retailers to prove out the model. But the fact that our world is there and the consciousness has shifted to that, right. I mean, that is like all we've ever asked to do. So the fact that Walmart is, you know, on board with items like ours, I mean, that's a home run. Yep, absolutely. That's good. And everyone deserves to be able to have healthy food. to work with. Yes, and it, it, for, for the most part, they are. They're, they've been very good with the clients I work with, and I think they're they're coming a long way. I think also um, you're going to be seeing a lot of activity from Walmart.com as well, and that's going to be a big yeah. thing for opportunity for a lot of people. Well, Lindsay, I really, again, really, exactly. really appreciate you being with us today and taking the time, and uh, glad to have you as, on, as a guest. I know it took us a little while to get this done, but you know it was 
We were both busy, and obviously you've been busier yeah, I than I know. have, so it was great. But anyways. <laughs> I, bet, I bet not, but I appreciate your time, and I hope you stay well, and you know we get out of this COVID-19 you know, soon. Yep, you bet. Well, again, thanks, Lindsay, and thanks to all of you for joining us here on the Next Level Brands podcast. Our podcast brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of courses, workshops, webinars, group, and one-on-one coaching for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you'd like to know more, check out the details at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com, what you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at Next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.